Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> um, my name is Beth, and I'm actually the pastor of student ministries here at the church, and I'm very, very happy to be with you today. Um, as you may have seen, Alan was wandering through the, lo- uh, through the lobby today. He is here, and he's actually with our students. We're going to be trying out something a little bit different where we're going to swap places every, not very often, but every so often. One of the things we're finding, and as we've done research, is that in the past eight years, there's been about seven studies um, that have come through that talk about the rate of students continuing to belong to the church after graduating. And the rate at which they leave the church is anywhere from 60 to 80%. Now, at best, 60%, that's staggering. That's crazy high. Um, at worst, that's awful. That's terrible. And so, and, and these, these statistics have been gathered over the course of 10 years, and they're probably not any different for what's been happening even for a while before that. And so in order to try to figure out, okay, how can, we, how can we help this? Other studies have shown that if students are connected not just to their student body, but to the entire church, to the senior pastor, to all of the staff, if they have at least three adults that they have very close relationships with that are um, present in their lives, that that lowers their rate of leaving the church to about 30% which that's a huge change. So one of the things that we're experimenting with right now is trying to see, can we, can we do something a little different where once in a while me and Alan swap so they feel more comfortable with him, and if it so happens that they choose to stay in the area upon graduation, they'll feel very comfortable that this here is their church home. It's not in the gym, it's not what happens with me, but it's what happens with all of us right here. And so I just wanted to let you in on a little bit, a little knowledge of, of what's been happening and what we're trying to do and what we're aiming for so, so you guys can be in on that. And it's, it's super exciting for me um, to see an entire staff to back, and, um, to back that sort of vision and to care enough about our students to, to put feet to that, to that idea. So um, I just wanted to let you guys know what I'm doing up here. So yeah, it's cool. It's really cool. Um, but as I am up here, we are going to be continuing um, in the whole shebang, and, and um, I'm really excited to do that. I didn't sleep real well last night because I was very nervous about Alan being in there. Um, <laughs> partly, like, this is fine for me, but I'm super nervous about him over there. And part of that was because I had this dream, and, like, at one point, I can't find any of the things I need to be ready. I'm rushing around, and um, something was on Alan's computer, and I couldn't find Alan's computer, and couldn't print it off, and it was just a mess. And I go in the gym to make sure everybody's there, is okay, and I see Alan walks in with this white cowboy shirt that has embroidery all over it. Perhaps you've seen him wear it, right? <laughs> and a mohawk, not a mohawk, a, a mullet, you know, business in front, party all down the back. And he walks in and he's like, I'm ready. Like, I've worn this because I think I will really connect with the students. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, this isn't just a dream. This is a nightmare. And so I, I was really glad to see him walk in and he wasn't wearing any of those things. And that was, that was really good. So um, we're going to be continuing today in the whole shebang, getting into character. And we're going to be looking at the person of Jonathan. And his character trait that we're highlighting is loyalty. So um, I wanted to paint with you. You can open your Bibles to 1 Samuel. That's where we're going to be camping out for most of the morning. But I did want to paint a larger context. Knowing that you talked about David last week, I'll just go through it real quick. 
Um, the, the people of Israel have walked into the promised land. They've come into the promised land and they've been ruled by judges for a number of years. And, and out of nowhere, the Israelite people are looking around and they're seeing that, that all the other nations that are surrounding them have earthly kings. They have human kings. And so they look at that and they say, I want a king too. I, I want what they have. Have we all not done that? I, I want what they have. I want an earthly king. And Samuel, who is the prophet of the time, turns to them and says, no, 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 no. You do not want an earthly king. And they say, yes, we do. So this goes on for a number of years. And finally, God is fed up and tells Samuel, you know what? They want a king. We will give them a king. And they give them Saul. And Saul is a bad king. He terrible, right? So Saul doesn't follow God's words, doesn't follow what God has decreed, doesn't follow what God has commanded. There are several stories where like Saul was supposed to wait to give an offering and the priests were taking too long. So he decides, okay, I'm just going to do the offering myself. So he does it. And then Samuel, the prophet shows up and says, are you kidding me? Now you're not going to win that war at all. Like, you will die, and thousands will die, because you have not followed the word of God. And over and over and over, Saul does this, and he doesn't follow God. And finally, God says, you've, you've lost my anointing. You can't be king anymore. Now, Saul, as terrible as he is, has a son named Jonathan. And Jonathan is a fabulous guy. We love Jonathan. Heart Jonathan. He loves God, and he follows God in every way that he possibly can. He walks with God daily. He listens to them. He prays before going to battle and waits on the Lord. There's even this one thing in 1 Samuel where Saul has just, the story I told earlier about, about Saul not waiting for the priest to make a sacrifice. Saul is just like not listening to God, and Jonathan gets tired of it. So he goes and he brings just him and his armor bearer. So it's two guys. And they say, you know what? I think God wants us to go fight the Philistines. And we're going to climb up this huge cliff. And if the Philistines say, come up and get us, then we know that God has delivered them into our hands. We know that we're going to win. So they're standing there, him and Jonathan and his armor bearer, and they hear the Philistines up on the cliff say, come on up and get us. So they start climbing up the cliff and they wind up killing the entire Philistine camp. The entire Philistine camp because God is with Jonathan. The odds are totally against him. Now, this is the thought that was going in Jonathan's head when he did that. I want you to turn to 1 Samuel 14, verse 6. Jonathan, right before he attacks, he says to his young armor bearer, Come. Let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Jonathan has this perspective in his mind that God will save when God wants to save. It doesn't matter if it's just you and me against 20 Philistine people. It doesn't matter if I am the only one who has a sword. If God wants it, we're going to do it. So, so Jonathan constantly is acting in this sort of mentality of the Lord saves. I will go and I will do what the Lord has asked me to do. Now, that's how we meet Jonathan. We meet David later on, 
through the story of David and Goliath, which, you know, Jonathan, the little boy, shoots the slingshot, and Goliath comes tumbling down, right? So shortly, one of the things that David says when he's shooting Goliath, when he's about to go up against Goliath, is, is this. All those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or by the spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. There's this recognition at the heart of David and the heart of Jonathan that recognizes that the Lord is the one who saves. It's not how many men you have. It's not how many swords you have. It's God. God is the one who saves, right? So they share this. Now, Jonathan has grown up in the house of Saul. And Saul's a poopy father. He's not very good, right? And, and some of us can imagine, like we can bring very clearly to our minds that what it's like to have a poopy dad. And others of us can put that into other relationships and be like, I know what it's like to deal with somebody who is on the completely opposite page than I am. Someone who goes after stuff that I just, I just don't get. Values out the window. I don't, I don't understand what that looks like. And so Jonathan has grown up with this relationship in his life, and all of a sudden, he sees David. After David kills Goliath, Saul welcomes David. This is long before Saul wants to kill David. He welcomes David in. And this is what happens. So turn to chapter 18. This is their meeting of David and Jonathan. After David had finished talking with Saul... Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to the home of his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. This is the place, after just meeting David, Jonathan sees something in David and says, I will commit to you. Now, the significance of what Jonathan does is huge. Jonathan takes off his robe and his tunic, and he gives it to David. Now, that's like, I mean, Jonathan's wearing priestly garments. David's a shepherd boy. And he says, you take this. Whatever I have that is valuable, you have it now. The inheritance that I once have is yours. I was supposed to be prince, not anymore. It's you. And he gives him his sword. Now, that is another extremely significant thing because if you look, if you read the whole book of 1 Samuel, you find there are only two swords in Israel. The Philistines have killed all of the blacksmiths, so they can't make any swords, and they're fighting with, like, farming equipment, right? But there's only two swords in Israel. Saul has one, and Jonathan has the other. Jonathan gives his sword to David. There aren't many of these going around. And so he's saying to him, I trust you with my life. I trust you with my troops. I trust you with everything that you will be the defender of all these things. And, and I've got your back. I'll be there for you. This is a huge vow that Jonathan makes to David. And, and through the course of the story, Jonathan makes this vow over and over again. At this point, it's easier for Jonathan to say that because Saul likes David. Sometimes we make promises to people when it's really easy to make promises to people. But when it gets a little bit more difficult, we see what Jonathan does. He doesn't really back out. 
Time goes by, and Saul wants to kill David. He's hunting after him, and you know how that all goes, right? Well, there's this one part in the story where Jonathan is wedged between his father Saul and his friend David, who he's sworn loyalty to. And I want to I look at that. I want us to read it. So flip over to 1 Samuel 20, verse 3. But David took an oath and said, Your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only one step between me and death. Jonathan said to David, Wherever you, Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it for you. So David said, Look, tomorrow is the new moon feast and I'm supposed to dine with the king. But let me go and hide in the field until the evening of the day after tomorrow. If your father misses me at all, tell him, David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown, because an annual sacrifice is being made there for his whole clan. If he says, very well, then your servant is safe. But if he loses his temper, you can be sure that he is determined to harm me. As for you, show kindness to your servant. For you have brought him, brought him into covenant with you before the Lord. If I am guilty, then kill me yourself. Why even hand me over to your father? Never, Jonathan said. If I had the least inkling that my father was determined to harm you, wouldn't I tell you? So they set up this trap, and, and we find out what happens in verse 30. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Those aren't quite the words that we would use today, but I'm sure you can imagine what he's getting at here, right? Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. It's pretty obvious. Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger, and on that second day of the feast, he did not eat because he was grieved about his father's shameful treatment of David. So even when the stakes get a little bit higher, even when it becomes a little bit more difficult to be David's friend, Jonathan still stands by him. Even if it means that his father no longer loves him, even if it means that his father wants to kill him, he is loyal to his friend. That's incredible. Loyalty costs a lot. It comes at a high price. Hmm. It's kind of an all-or-nothing thing. You can't be mostly loyal to somebody. You can't be, like, mostly committed to somebody. It's like, it's like yes or no. You're all in or you're not. There's no halvesies. And, and as, I was, as I was thinking about loyalty and what that looks like and what David and Jonathan's relationship must have looked like, the, the character that popped into my head was a modern-day character that we have probably all are familiar with, and it's from Lord of the Rings. You've got Sam and you've got Frodo. And Frodo has been given this mission to destroy the ring. And he says, Here, here's the ring, and, and until you destroy this ring, um, evil will, will happen all over the earth. So you need to destroy it. It's going to be a treacherous journey, but you need to destroy it. And he's given his friend Sam 
to follow with him as he goes. And I just wanted to refresh your, your memory of what that clip looked like. So we're going to go ahead and watch it now. And that's this picture of, of loyalty to me. I mean, that is David and that is Jonathan right there. I mean, Frodo is trying to save Sam. No, this journey is too treacherous. I have to do this alone. And Sam says, no, like, I don't care how treacherous it is. I made a promise and I will follow through on this no matter what happens. And it's that kind of extreme loyalty that, that is, that's amazing. You don't see that very often in this day and age. And, and there's this group of people also in the Bible who had that same sort of mentality and that same extreme loyalty that is displayed in David and Jonathan and is displayed in Sam and Frodo. And we find it in the book of Acts. So I want you to go ahead and turn there. That's in the New Testament. So you're going to go through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then hit Acts. And you're going to turn to Acts chapter 2. The book of Acts is all, about, um, is all about the beginnings of the church. Jesus has just died and risen and gone up to heaven. And the disciples are left and they're trying to figure out what we do. How, how do we continue to follow, follow Jesus even though, even though he's gone and we're not really sure how, how to do this? And we, we get to this part, Acts chapter 2, verses 42. This is what they do. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. That is an amazing picture of loyalty. Our, our young, college and young adults group here at the church actually holds the name 242, and it's after this verse. It, it was named that because there was thrown a vision out there that, that perhaps there would be a group of young people that would be able to do this same type of loyalty and commitment within their community. But, but what they did back then was amazing. They sold their possessions. They held everything in common. Anytime somebody needed, needed something, they would sell something off and they'd get it for them. I mean, think of what that would look like today. That's extremely difficult. It's like, I'm going to sell my house so that, so that you can eat, like you 20 people can eat. Or, or let's buy a house together, and I know it's going to be rocky, and I know that you're never supposed to hold property in common because your friends can betray you and deceive you, but we're going to do it because, because that's what we're going to do. It's turning to somebody and saying, get rid of your 401K, get rid of your life insurance, because if something happens to you, I got you. I'm going to take care of you. It's turning to somebody else and saying, your health care plan, it's not, as good enough. it's not as good as me. I've got your back, and if ever anything happens, I'm the one that you're going to go to, not some health care plan, not some 401k, and not this. Me, that's, that's how much I love you. You want to start a business? I got your back. It tanks, I'm still there. This is tremendous amount of loyalty that, that, that we're called to in the scriptures. Now, the funny thing, at the end of that little verse that we read in Acts, it says that the Lord um, added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's because of the way they were living. 
When we live to that degree of loyalty to each other and that degree of commitment to each other, people start realizing that that's different. I don't see that anywhere else. And I want to be a part of that because whatever you've got going on, I want to be in it. That's what brought people to Christ, that testimony and that witness of devout loyalty. I'm here for you. I've got your back. I don't care what happens. I'm here. That is extreme. Now today, loyalty has gotten a really bad rap. A really, 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 really bad rap. I mean, it it probably didn't start here, but it probably got worse around 1978 when Jim Jones took 900 people to to a place in Africa and had them drink a whole bunch of Kool-Aid and had everybody killed, right? And so we learned this thing of like, I'm not... I. I can't follow that person to the death. They may be crazy and true, right? Or I have students who, who, this is a story I probably hear like once every other week, once every third week or something, definitely once a month, of, of a student coming to me and saying, hey, I have a friend who's talking about committing suicide. Or I have a friend who's been cutting. Or I have a friend who hasn't eaten for six days. Or I have a friend who's partying, like, a lot, and I don't think they even come to school sober anymore. And I say, you need to tell somebody. I can't. I can't, I can't tell anybody. Are you kidding me? Like, I'm loyal to that friend. I would break their trust, and I promised I wouldn't tell anybody. <sighs> Loyalty has a bad rap. We even have like healthy relationships that are unhealthy relationships adults are in where somebody is getting hurt by the other person and we stay in the name of loyalty. Loyalty has gotten a hugely bad rap, but the problem isn't loyalty. The problem is the people we're choosing to be loyal to. We can't just throw loyalty out with the bathwater. Instead, we've got to examine, okay, loyalty is a good thing. Loyalty is something that God calls us to, but, but are we picking who we're loyal to wisely? I mean, if we look at Jonathan, Jonathan just didn't pick lightly. He had these two options. He had Saul, his father, who didn't obey God, or David, his friend, who wholeheartedly obeyed God with everything in him. I mean, some of us would be like, uh, obvious choice. And some of us are like, no, that's, that's really hard. He's your father. And it's interesting to me, like, if Jonathan had chosen Saul, there would eventually have to come this point where Jonathan either, like, broke his loyalty to Saul and said, I can't follow any further. I can't go to the end. Or he would have to compromise something that he believed in. So that didn't work. But I do think it's interesting that throughout the entire book, whenever we're talking about Jonathan and Saul, Jonathan is always respectful of his father. And he always is honoring to him. Always. He doesn't put his loyalty in him. He doesn't swear an oath with him. But he is respectful and he is kind. And he constantly is pointing Saul in the right direction. Saul, Father, God would want us to go this way. Don't do this. You know, and I think in our relationships that we have, we can all think of people, I'm not, I'm not supposed to be loyal to that person. But then what do you do with them? We honor them, we respect them, we pray for our enemies, but we don't swear our loyalty to them. 
Now, on the other hand, Jonathan chooses David, and I believe that the reason Jonathan is able to confidently choose David is because he saw in David that they shared the same mission. From across the throne room, when Saul is talking to David, he realizes, Jonathan realizes, David, the same David, David believes that God can save, whether by many or by few, and I believe that God can save, whether by many or by few. And I am confident that because we share this mission and this goal, that I can swear my loyalties to you. You are worth picking. Too often, you know, I, I see a lot of, well, I see a lot of dating relationships, but, but I'm sure it's true for a lot of marriage choices too. I'm trying to change my examples to be with adults. But, but, I, but I see lots of dating relationships, probably true with adults too, even in dating relationships, of, of people choosing people to date or to befriend or to marry. And like you don't share the same goals. You don't share the same mission. And I'm just like flabbergasted of, of this loyalty will never work because at some point if you truly want to pay the high cost of loyalty, you're going to have to choose like loyalty, breaking that loyalty, breaking that trust, or going in a direction that you don't want to go in. And so I think that we have this prime example to show us we need to choose those people wisely. Now in our lives, like we all want a Jonathan. I think that there's probably a moment in everybody's life in here where we felt lonely. And we've just been like, gosh, I really wish that I had a friend. I really wish that there was someone who could walk beside me and fight my battles and just, just be with me, share me, that mission and that journey with me. I think we've probably, I think, I think that's in our nature to want that. Now, the other side of it, though, is are you being a Jonathan for somebody else? Are you willing to commit yourself to somebody so loyally that thick or thin, I'm in wholeheartedly. You want me to get rid of that? I can, I can do that. You want me to sell this? Sure. You need my, I got it. But not flippantly. We have to choose wild, wisely. Ultimately, Jonathan's ability to be loyal to David is a reflection of their shared trust in God. And our ability to be loyal to the person with which we've shared a mission reflects our ability to trust God. Those early Christians never would have been able to do that if they didn't have a very firm foundation knowing God is the one who ultimately takes care of us. God is the one who ultimately saves so my challenge for you this week that, 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 I've, that I've given to students before is to examine the people that you are loyal to. Are they worth being loyal to? And once you commit to that loyalty, to be loyal to the end. Would you all pray with me as we close? Father God, I ask that you would give us a tremendous amount of wisdom in our relationships that we pick and choose I'm sure that we all have Saul's in our lives and we all have David's in our lives. Father God, I ask that you would give us the courage to, to um, make that decision and then once we make it, to follow it through to the absolute end. Father, we want to be witnesses to your glory and to your um, trustworthiness. Father, help us figure out what that means to, to follow you and to be loyal to one another. I thank you for your word. I ask that you would pierce our hearts and our minds. 
In your holy and precious name, 